All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 273 points, or eight-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 41 points, or nine-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 163 points and or 1.1%. Now for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 15%. The S&P 500 year to date is up 18.1%. And the NASDAQ year to date is up 15.1%. So NASDAQ yes. is edged above the Dow slightly as of the close Friday. And, and as of the close Friday, we had the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average close at all-time highs. So one of the things – go ahead, Jeff. Well, I was going to say, we were talking about barbells. We've been talking about a barbell portfolio the last two or three or four shows. And for our listeners that don't know, Kyle likes to work out a lot. So I think he can relate to about, uh, what we're talking about with a barbell portfolio. But that's oh, goodness. Thinking. Goodness. Now, well, the you Dow's guys... up 15 and the, S&P, and the NASDAQ's up 15%. Well, you guys give me enough noise about my golf shirts that I wear at the office, so <laughs> enough already. Of course, you, of course, you got to put me on blast on the radio show, right? The first first segment of this weekend show. Yeah, you've you've got to be a, become a client to see Kyle's golf, in his golf <laughs> shirts. So, oh, right. <laughs> to understand what you're talking about. Oh, I'm having some fun here. Already, I mean, we, was the show just dragging last week, Joe? I mean, you, you're bringing in the color, so we're gonna have some fun. Today, okay, this week. So, so looking back at this past week, what you were saying, Jeff? Well, I know there was one of this <clears throat> this article that you, that Joe had printed up before we uh, went to air today about opinion stocks are likely to go sideways from here. How to keep your portfolio moving forward? I would agree that it seems that here of late that the markets have moved uh, ir- sideways, but you know, overall the market has moved irregularly higher, but you know, Kyle's going to tell us about how the concentration of the market going higher has occurred only in a certain 
small list of stocks and that the broader market itself hasn't necessarily participated in what, you know, a, a certain set of stocks has, uh, you know, the gains they've had this, this year have been really driving things. Now, to me, on the surface, when I hear, when we've had times in the past where uh, the market has been moving up based on a narrow set of stocks, that doesn't necessarily bode well for the markets in the short term. Well, and, and, and that's true. And if we look at the progression of the market so far this year, when we saw the value, particularly large cap value asset class, really start to take root in the first quarter of this year and really starting to outpace that of growth, then as we've gotten into the second quarter, we've had a little bit of a slowdown in the large value where the large cap growth started to doing some more catch up. And in the first quarter of this, of this year, a lot of the high-flying tech names, there was a lot of profits being taken in those names. I mean, we're, we're part of that money management group that did that in the first week of January of this year, taking profits from all these tech names that ran up so much uh, during 2020. And so I, now I would like to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kyle, that's all right. a, little, a little bit of statistical color, if you will, to, to the value versus growth performance differential that we've talked about from time to time uh, here in 2021 this quarter, which we're only, I guess we just finished the fifth trading week of the third quarter of the, of this year. It's very interesting that the, that growth is especially in the large and the mid capitalization stocks is substantially higher than value. And in the large cap arena, large cap growth and large cap value are now neck and neck. There's literally no statistical difference in terms of performance, both according to one of the indexes that we track here, are both up about a little over 18% for the year. Now, mid cap value is still leading mid cap growth by about 5%. Uh, the, the really largest differential in terms of performance between growth and value is small in the cap. small cap sector, where that small cap value is nearly triple what small cap growth is. But, you know, both of those uh, small cap is not getting a lot of love this quarter. Both small cap value stocks and small cap growth stocks are, are negative for the quarter today. I know five, five weeks is not, you can't, you can't base a you know, long-term portfolio performance off of only five weeks, but it's interesting to see that growth has, you know, especially this quarter, has started to catch up to to value in terms of overall portfolio performance. I know, Kyle, you had another statistic about earnings that we've seen uh, so far for the quarter to date. Well, and, and we'll get into earnings when okay. we come back from the first commercial break. But, but the other things I wanted to say, just like you were giving those statistics where we saw growth, we saw value, particularly large cap value coming out of the blocks very, very hot in the first quarter of this year. And as we got in, in the NASDAQ, of course, being part of the more large cap growth segment with the higher price earning multiple stocks, were, of course, lagging in a performance the first quarter of this year. But as we got into the latter end of the second quarter, we started to see more of the large cap names starting to pick up steam and particularly technology. And now that we're into the third quarter, we're seeing a very narrow window of some of the bigger tech names and communication service names doing majority of the driving 
of the gains in the S&P 500, the, the breadth of the market, particularly in the S&P 500, is getting more and more narrow. So if you have a highly diversified portfolio like we do, like we do have here at Davidson Capital, you can see, particularly in the shorter term, a little bit of underperformance versus the S&P 500 because of that narrow window, that narrow breadth of stocks that's really doing majority of the driving of the names. And again, we always recommend to all of our listeners, to all investors to, to maintain broad-based diversification to help with risk mitigation. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the MoneyWise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, just talking about, again, as we've always talked about on the MoneyWise program, is knowing what you own. But talking about this past week, how we scrape profits in 13 individual stocks in our portfolio, and it led me to having the conversation about when we've done portfolio reviews in the past, particularly with clients that have taxable accounts where they're paying realized capital gains taxes on an annual basis in their portfolio. So non-IRA, non-retirement assets. And we've seen this quite often over the last 32 years where an individual goes and buys a stock and then just holds on to it forever and gains continue to accumulate unrealized And then when we do the portfolio review, we find out that there might only be five or six stocks that represent an individual investor's complete investable net worth, which is extremely risky because you're not diversified. We always recommend to not put more than 5% of your investable net net worth in any one individual stock. Now, you can in an exchange-traded fund because it's a diversified basket of a multitude of stocks like a mutual fund or a mutual fund. You can put more than 5% of your investable net worth in one of those types of vehicles. But when we're talking about individual stocks, we have a hard and fast rule. We've had it for the last 32 years here at Davidson Capital, no more than 5% in any one individual stock. Well, when we do these portfolio reviews, we might find someone who maybe at the time invested 4% of their investable net worth, but maybe it was a decade ago in a particular stock, let's just say Apple, it's completely run up and they might have hundreds of thousands of dollars of unrealized gains. Well, when we do a portfolio review, we bring that to the investor's attention. Whoa, you're way over allocated to one individual stock. Your portfolio could be living, breathing, and also dying with just these handfuls of stocks. And so we need to diversify you, which means you have to realize these gains. Well, You could be staring down the barrel of a huge tax bill, even though long-term capital gains tax rate is 15% for most investors. If if you make over $400,000, $450,000 married filing jointly, it's at 20%. But bottom line is long-term capital gains tax rates under current tax law is some of the lowest it's been in history. So this would be the actual time to do it, particularly if you're fearful of the change potential change to the tax code from the Biden administration, because I know capital gains was definitely a subject matter 
uh, that has been brought up in potential in potential in potential changes to the Joe Biden tax code. Yeah. Well, one thing I've seen too, when when somebody all of a sudden they inherit a portfolio or they inherit a bunch of stocks and they hold it because it was their moms or their dads, they get emotionally attached to it. And they say, "Well, I'm not going to sell." Then year after year after year, it keeps growing and growing. And obviously, their tax uh, their tax situation, they're going to have more capital gains tax. They're going to have to pay when they sell that stock. I mean, I'm just I've seen it multiple times. Kyle and I've seen it multiple times, and so has Jeff. When you get in that situation, and all of a sudden you do inherit uh, stocks, that's the ideal time to sit down with a, an advisor and have a strategy for that because you get it as of right now the step up in cost basis. That's right. You need to start diversifying that portfolio away from that, and you got to remember, just because you love that stock, that stock doesn't love you back. All right, it's it's an inanimate object. It's incapable of loving you, and you need to be able to pull the trigger. <laughs> That's right. Under that situation, so and 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 we, and we can appreciate uh, an investor's emotional attachment if it's a stock. I mean, we run into clients. You know, my father gave me GE stock or some of these bellwether blue chip Exxon. companies. Exxon. Exxon. Oh, yeah, Exxon. exactly. They've been around forever. We we get it. We understand. But like Joe said, if you're inheriting stock and you're getting that step up in cost basis, that gives you the ability to diversify doesn't mean you have to get rid of all the stock, but it's definitely going to help with your overall tax bill, particularly if you're inheriting it from a loved one who has owned it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That is an extremely low cost basis to get that step up in cost basis as the heir of those assets to take advantage of that, to allow you to diversify and really spread those eggs across more and more equity baskets. Yeah, Jeff, you want to say something? Jeff's ready to roll. <laughs> well, one of, the, one of the things I've noticed the most about folks that have been hanging on to stocks for an extended period of time, especially those that have inherited stocks, uh, generally what I find is, is those, the, the stocks that I've, I've reviewed tend to be really underperforming securities. And allowing your emotion to not uh, allow you to get out of a particular security that has really underperformed the market uh, purely based on emotion is very detrimental to, can be very detrimental to the success of the, of a portfolio. I think about how much more successful many folks portfolios that I, I have reviewed that that are in this situation that have had these stocks that they've, that they inherited from family that they've had, you know, in their in the portfolios even longer than thirty years, how much more money they would have made had they just diversified them? I there was the I I think there's this there's this generational issue. The uh, the previous generation tended to be more of a a buy and hold for the extreme long term. And when I'm talking forever. about extreme, when buy I'm talking about extreme, forever. when I'm talking extreme long term, I'm talking about holding on to a stock for 10 years or more. I cannot think of a single security that we have owned in our portfolio for more than 10 years at any time in the 30 plus year we've been managing money. I mean, even some of the greatest stocks today, like if I take Apple, App, Apple for example, Microsoft, there, there was a time when Apple and Microsoft just were not very good stocks uh, to have in a portfolio. Uh, so you you can't just buy and hold forever. It's well, not. Yeah, <laughs> funny story stuff. about Tad. I remember 
when Steve Ballmer was the CEO of Microsoft, and he said, I will never own Microsoft as long as Steve Ballmer is the CEO. And he was absolutely right. We did not own it because he thought he was You're just... talking about Dad saying Yeah, this? Dad. Oh, okay. yeah. I remember distinctly Dad saying, and I know he's going to be listening this weekend show. He's like, that's right. That's right. I did not like Steve Ballmer as a CEO. And when he left and they brought in the new CEO, he has really transformed microsoft it yeah. just absolutely transformed and for full disclosure we've owned, we own microsoft in our portfolio have owned it for for several years now but we scrape profits as the position gets overweighted from an allocation standpoint in our portfolio we will scrape that profit we own some stocks right now in our portfolio that we've scraped so much profit our inv- our our client's original investment has long since been removed and this is just profit that's growing and producing more profit on top of it. That's what you have to do in your portfolio. But, you got to read but, that cash register sometimes. You, you, you so. do. And it, it goes back to Jim Cramer's old saying, bears make money, bulls make money, hogs get slaughtered. You don't want to get too greedy. And yeah, you might love to see that your position has grown thousands of percents because you've held on to the stock for 30 years. But when it's time to really get, be wise and diversify your portfolio, that tax bill could be holding some investors back from doing more wise things in their portfolio. And to Jeff's well, point, if anything, emotional attachment. Okay, if anything, if, any, if anything, the potential for changes in capital gains taxes that are it's still on the table. I mean, we haven't heard much about it lately, but it's out there should be a motivating factor for anyone listening to the show that, has holdings in their portfolio, you know, that are 20, 30 plus years old, or maybe family members, uh, you know, you know, the sibling, children of the parents that still have the Exxon or the whatever Gee. it is. It's what, what I, mostly I see in this for folks that live in this area that have these stocks is, is stocks in the oil industry that they've held for 20, 30, 40 years. And I, I, it's, you know, it's because maybe the parents worked for the company and at one time, and, you know, they've inherited the stock. They don't want to get rid of it at the emotional attachment. You know, you can go look at a chart of some of these oil companies and yeah, there's been times you can buy them down on their tails and make some money. You know, last year was a good example. Uh, but if you look at you, you broaden it out 10, 15, 20 years and you plot, say, Exxon against uh, the S&P 500, uh, it doesn't it's look that a, good. It, it's no. not, it doesn't look that good it's at not, all. It's not pretty. It's not a pretty comparison at all. <clears throat> but, but here's something else. Another point about the emotional connection when it's stock inherited from a family member. I think at the end of the day, your family member would want you to do the most, be the best steward of the assets, of the wealth that they left you as an inheritance. And that's a huge gift that they're providing you. And they would want you to, to, to put it to work in the most efficient, effective, and risk-mitigated way and not to continue to hold that one in particular st- one individual stock for the rest of your life, they want you to be a good steward, but we can appreciate that emotional attachment. It doesn't mean you have to get rid of it 100%, but to get it into an appropriate level of allocation is would, would be our biggest piece of advice for anyone, you know, out there listening to this show. 
So, anything else before we go to our next commercial break? I know we've got to come back with the employment data because we. We're going to come back with all the with all the uh, statistics in the last week. For sure. Okay. Well, we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So in our last segment of this weekend's first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, wanted to shift gears a little bit. Um, had the jobs numbers that came out on Friday a little bit better than expected. Jeff, I'll turn it over to you to go into all the numbers. So for the jobs week. for the jobs number on Friday, uh, U.S. adds 943,000 jobs in the month of July, and the unemployment rate dropped to 5.4%. The estimates for, were for 850,000 job additions for the month of June and an unemployment rate of 5.9%. So it came in better than expected. And interestingly enough, what happened? The market didn't drop on good news. No, the market didn't drop, but interest rates definitely did go up because we closed on Friday at 1.302% when we closed the previous Friday at 1.23. So we've seen a seven basis point increase in the 10 years. So we're seeing some money coming out of fixed income and the question is, is it going to start finding its way into stocks? Well, the other economic news for the week, construction spending was higher and factory orders beat expectations on uh, solid business spending on equipment. The one thing that's still out there, and you know, President Biden on Friday didn't really go out and take much of a victory lap. He was more concerned about what's going on with the Delta variant. And the market so far has has been shrugging it off. Um, we are seeing more, you know, mask mandates coming out, and uh, we're getting you know da- the, back to the daily reports about COVID infections. Uh, I think it has has motivated some folks that have been on the fence about getting vaccinated. Maybe they've decided to go out and get vaccinated to protect against it. At, at this point, the market isn't uh, anticipating any sort of mass economic shutdowns like we saw in March, April of 2020. And, and I'm still in the camp that, that, that there that's not going, we're not going to have anything like that because it would be political uh, suicide, suicide for the Democrats to do that. But that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be uh, effects from a business point of view. If, if the, this latest variant continues to ramp up and we get more and more hospitalizations, there, there could be businesses pull back a little bit on spending. There could be all, you know, we could have all sorts of situations develop, not maybe as bad as we had in the, in during COVID in 2020, but it could, it could create some more concern uh, amongst investors and that concern creates uh, uncertainty and uncertainty uncertainty typically creates 
uh, pulling back in terms of stock investing. Uh, we have not had any correction of any great magnitude in what a more than a year now. Yes. So I mean, you had you, to say that. I, mean, I have to say it because it's just it, you, Let, you can't just come next, in and rain on we, we get that correction. Here comes you, Mr. Be Sunshine. All on Jeff. I'm not Here's saying I'm, I'm not saying. <laughs> hey, know, now, now wait know. a second. Now wait a second. We actually reduced our allocations to stocks this week with the sale of the of the those stocks that we those those profits that we scraped off as you described the Kyle. Uh, on uh, I think it was Thursday we did that. It actually reduced our asset allocation to stocks by a slight bit. We're still not at maximum asset allocations. No. Haven't been since February of 2020. Uh, we're like 62, 63% invested in stocks in a moderate asset allocation portfolio where we could go to a, as, as high as a maximum of 70. So so we are 6, 7% we're being, of that. We're, we're being, optimistic, we're very, but we're cautiously optimistic. We're, we're very we're cautious in the portfolios. I, I would say there was, there's caution in the fact that we have this barbell approach. We got the high dividend on one side, then we've got the the higher dividend on one side. And we've got and then we've got the, the tech on the growth. other side. Higher yeah. growth on the other side. Thank you. Uh, and and we have been we have been very hesitant to go to maximum stock allocations this year for all sorts of different reasons. What I would say right now from, from a, if I could put on my very short term hat uh, and I, we don't have, I need to get, I have to have dad give us the, the uh, uh, overbought, over, over, overbought, oversold, oversold condition. I didn't get that before we went to air today. Uh, I, I would say we're probably somewhere in the neutral range right now. Uh, but it's August, and August, as I had said last yeah, week, I was going to mention is the second is the second worst month of the year historically. Though last year was very good, um, but, but also, but also, volumes tend to be a little bit lighter because the entire country of Europe is usually is on right. vacation the entire month of August. Although with the Delta variant and different lockdowns in European countries, I don't know how much of vacations they're going to be having with travel restrictions. But here in the States, a lot of the A-team portfolio management portfolio managers are on vacation or they take a lot of time out of the office in the month of August. So we typically see lighter volumes, um, which can also lead to more volatility when you have lighter volumes because there's fewer participants that are trading on a daily basis. And so, like you said, Jeff, you know, month, the month of August is historically not always the best month. And then as we were talking earlier in the show with the narrow breadth of technology names, particularly technology communication service names that have been driving and fueling just in the last couple of weeks, the, the, the movement higher in the S&P 500. So for the profits that we took, yes, we've got some powder set aside on the sidelines and that powder is going to be used to go back into the stock market to to definitely take advantage of some of the pullbacks from some of the stocks that we own that are still fundamentally sound and fundamentally strong for the long term in our portfolio because we are long-term investors. So those funds will be used to bring those positions that have scaled back to bring them back up to the appropriate allocation in our portfolios. The only thing I would say is if I was building a portfolio from scratch today, I would be building it a little slower than I might have otherwise after we, if we had just finished the ten percent correction, I'd probably be build be putting those 
that money to work a little bit faster. But in this environment, I would be spreading those buys out over a more extended period of time because I just, I just, it's just a gut, you know, sometimes you get a gut feeling and that's just what my gut is telling me because of the narrow breadth, because of how much we've run up because of, uh, the COVID resurgence, those things, you know, would make me be a little more cautious building a portfolio from scratch right now, ease the money in slowly in this environment. That's my, that's my take for this week. Okay. And with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So for listeners of Money Wise on 1200 WOAI in San Antonio, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend show. If you'd like to catch the second hour, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or catch our podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. For listeners of Money Wise and Corpus Christi on 1360 KKTX, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and going into more investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call on our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about. And for any longtime listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or f- any any shape and form. And so... The reason why I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into a deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? 
An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm -hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word. The G word. As part of the marketing pitch. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said... Uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one, only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise. It's a and really, it's like you said, Jeff. It's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the get word guaranteed, gives. The potential buyer, that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types, fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable. And it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity, which is starting to show up at, uh, at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This, the equity indexed annuity product mm -hmm. is on the radio as, 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 it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is. I'd probably say in some instances more, Jeff. You know, I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we, we hear, as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably five equity indexed annuity based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor. A type show like we have it here with uh, Moneywise on KKTX. There, th there'll be five others. Uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market that do nothing but pitch equity and annuities, mm -hmm. and uh, we know for a fact in every large market in this state there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity indexed annuities. And every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further into this education, I'll explain why the salespeople 
of equity indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. The return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff, throughout the history of of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No. Earners? They're, they're, They're basically one step below government bonds in okay. terms of in terms of safety as a, I mean, and, and return and then return you know CDs are back if you buy a CD at a commercial bank and has FDIC insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits then you are covered by the FDIC insurance program if so, if that bank should fail so so with this in mind knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return is going to be low. No matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you would want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, And again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are. And we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we We'll stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products. Um, so let's get back to the EIA. Now, equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return, a rate of interest, and an interest rate linked to a market index. Uh, now, what is the guaranteed minimum rate? Well, typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid. Uh, and 
that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1% to 3%. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1% to 3%. Now, remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars and you're pre-59 and a half, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of an annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the, in the state of Texas if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, 600000 a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you when they're selling you this product. And I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is this is, a, this is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities... Well, and fear has got higher. And, yeah, well, particularly equity-indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. 
and really annuities in general, but especially equity indexed annuities are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster equity indexed annuity sales because they can prey the salesman. Yes, and I use the word they can prey on your fear, on your uncomfortableness and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you. All the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch. If you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, and tails the insurance company loses. I want you. That doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the markets go goes up ten percent? Well, you get ten percent. And and if the market goes down ten percent, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be one to three percent. So you you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch. Mr. and Ms. Client, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's. I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part they of don't, the sales they don't go, pitch. They don't go quite that far, but, but the. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I, you, you may be <laughs> sorry. You, you may be making it a little more dramatic. You may be making it a little more dramatic, but there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuities, so how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500 and the index-linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in. So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that sounds good. So if the S&P is up 10%, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside, but then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. 
So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of, say, 4%. So the market goes up 10. The S&P goes up 10%. You're capped at 4. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying this because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated, convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you, it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps. They pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time. Less than a year. One year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us on our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to Wise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates, or basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great. But then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, But again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line And then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. And that is a sales pitch. That is a sales tactic. And I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, but there is is another teaser that draws clients in. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium. And, and, And we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle. It is an insurance policy. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while. So when you're buying an annuity, 
the money you're putting into it is called a premium, just like if you were buying a life insurance policy. Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, why would an insurance company, if this product is so good... All the upside, none, none of the, the downside. downside. Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you $10,000 free, $10,000 for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will go inside and get out of line. Really get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund, you go on the paper and oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra ten percent. If I put a hundred thousand dollars into it, it's now going to be worth a hundred and ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You see any are your mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is the this is one of the only products that I know of that that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they they sweeten the pot with these bonuses. But you must stay in that investment for the entire well, there's different there's different investing yeah. schedules. There's for different the investing, but but I can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus. And when I say extended period of time, and we're talking ten years or more. Yeah, and we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second you know and again as i've i've said to anyone thinking about buying these if they have to entice you with free money if this thing is really that good as it's being presented they wouldn't have to give you anything well if they were really that good kyle why would we even need to be buying stocks and why would we need to be buying bonds why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds and why would all these other organizations in the united states that are selling uh, that are managing people's money. Why would why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the markets? All we got to do is stick it in these equity index annuities. Going to get all the upside and none of the downside, and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product? And, and you and you bring up a good point uh, that of the twenty largest insurance companies in, in the country, that nineteen of them avoid it like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. And most equity-indexed annuity providers are smaller, lower credit quality insurance companies, primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the MetLife's of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these types of products. New York Life. They don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either, but... Uh, we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not 
police these products, which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the State Board of Insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well, in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products and that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And, in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance. And just to kind of, for some of our listeners that uh, were listening to us in 2005, 2006, we actually turned into the State Board of Insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities. And uh, in one show, in one one hour, they had 26 noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two Ph.D. mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators where they have found that approximately 20% of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA and to the sales force. And you keep saying EIA, equity, equity indexed, indexed annuities. annuities. So if you're given, so if you're buying an equity indexed annuity, putting a hundred thousand dollars into it, you can almost assure yourself that about twenty thousand dollars of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, well, Kyle, I put in a hundred thousand dollars and I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my account. That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? Why do you think they run radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay big commissions. That's right. Um and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender p- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple 
equity indexed annuities. And what I have found running numbers back, and in fact, I've I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962. And I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold. Returns ranging anywhere from one and a half to two percent annualized per year. This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or, right. or government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right. So let's talk about their uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity-indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity-indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear-end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is extremely poor liquidity in equity-indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity-indexed annuity education. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity-indexed annuities and really annuities in general, only allowing up to a 10% free withdrawal. Uh, Anything above that, particularly in equity-indexed annuities, you can be hit with substantial rear-end commissions or rear-end surrender charges, as we call them, or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them. So, again, they have a real lack of liquidity. Now, as I was talking about how extremely complicated these products are, you know, they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark. So the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser, but because the product is so complex and you need to be a PhD in math and mathematics to figure them out, it, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, op- and, opa- and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Uh, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up, for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, you know, and what 
again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organize crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say, wouldn't you say, Dan? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one-hour or two-hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity indexed annuities, and he's known for the catch a predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator. It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this a salesperson. The salesperson. That's what got him into it. And and so somewhere out there in the internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, there was several. Years this was ago. several years ago. And again, any longtime listener to this program know that we are disdain for annuities of all shapes and forms, but equity indexed annuities is what really gets me fired up because they are so worthless. Well, they're, they're in my the bluebonnet plague of all yeah, products of all, of all that products. we've ever come across. And, and, you know, we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these. But when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago? No. In, in, in fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs. Got an EIA that's had since around 2006. Since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90% after all fees after all fees and expenses that's a huge difference that's a huge difference when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above 
what a CD would return. But uh, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside. And I do know, and again, for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. Amen. If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's or, right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's right. You don't and, come and you, to you, you, you don't you, come you, to us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to yeah. your doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor. Pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of and, any, any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that have heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities and they have thanked us for making that mistake and buying these types of products and you know i wanted to to thank all of our listeners to to sticking with us in the second hour of this weekend's money wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for 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 nobody i mean they're they're no good period and there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.